and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levitson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So first of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving us your precious, precious time We are so grateful to have you as part of our community, so I just want to thank you. Second, if you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with a friend. Send them a text. Say, hey, I think you you would enjoy this talk. Share it on social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever it is your social. The more that we share these conversations, the more we expand our reach. So we're so grateful to have you here with us today, and we thank you for sharing this conversation with people that are close to you. Now to today's guest. Dr. Rob Bell is somebody who I connected with years ago to learn from, to try to find out, hey, what are you doing in the sports psychology world? I was curious about him. He'd written some books and he gave me time. And I'm really grateful that he was willing to mentor me and give me some advice and some thoughts along the way. And as we've continued to grow our practices, we've stayed in touch and shared best practices, information that helps our clients and and helps us continue to grow ourselves and and grow our business. And so Dr. Rob Bell is not just somebody who works with athletes. He's also somebody who walks the walk. He's an ultra marathon competitor, which if you're not familiar with ultra marathons, we're going to talk about it in this conversation. It's basically if you run anything beyond 26.2, which is the marathon number of miles, anything beyond that is considered ultra. This year, he's running a hundred mile uh, race. And so he, Rob is going to talk about his mindset. He's also going to be really vulnerable and open in this conversa- conversation and talk about his journey and some of the mistakes he's made along the way and what has led him to the place he is today. He's going to talk about his spirituality. He's going to talk about what gets him emotionally and mentally strong and why physical fitness is, is such a priority for him. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Dr. Rob Bell. Rob, excited to chat with you with the recording button going, because we have had a lot of conversations over the years without any recording. Just so you know, I never record our conversations, but uh, this is a little different because we're recording it. And I'm hoping that we'll have a similar conversation to some of the ones we've had with nobody listening, because that to me is the beauty of a podcast is when you can share conversations that typically are, are more private 
with the world and hopefully people will learn from you today and we can talk some sports psychology we can talk about you as a competitor and how you walk the walk uh, and we'll talk about writing and all kinds of good stuff. But what I don't know about you, other than you grew up nearby where, where I grew up, is your upbringing, what life was like for you as a kid. So I'd love to learn more about you as a child and what life was like uh, in the Bell household as a kid. Wow. So that, that's definitely one topic we haven't talked about. Um, <laughs> no, it's good, man. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I mean, I really respect you. What you do in the field is tremendous, man. So now we got that. Uh, that flashing red light, that'd be good. I mean, you know, I grew up in, uh, in a small town. I felt um, it was one of those towns that was great uh, up to a point. And why I say it was great up to a point is because um, when I got into high school, um, everybody in this small town of Maryland, uh, everyone partied, you know? So, I mean, everyone drank, everyone recreationally, you know, smoked pot. Um, and it's just kind of what you did. And there were some athletes that, that could get away with it. And I was not one of those athletes and I really got going down the wrong path. Uh, I think heading into like my senior year and, um, you know, I got arrested for partying, got kicked off soccer team. And now that small town where, you know, you were kind of revered for being an athlete. Now everyone was like pointing the finger at me. I just made a bad mistake. Um, but that one, that one was a big growing up moment, man, because it was, um, there was a lot of pain involved with that. There's a lot of embarrassment and, um, you know, I felt that was a huge growing up moment and it was one that I, that would later on would definitely motivate me because there wasn't many times that I didn't regret messing up, you know, uh, it followed me into college as well. When I got to college, still partying, fell off an 80 foot cliff, uh, nearly died. I uh, should have died. God saved me, um, redeemed me. And it, but there were a lot of pain moments, man. Whereas then using those bad experiences as, as fuel, um, you know, growing up, man, I mean, especially my town, I was a baseball and, uh, and soccer players, what I excelled at. And, uh, but I always, man, I would take the Pepsi challenge when it came to any kind of sports. Cause I just loved sports. I loved everything you could got from it. And even though my experiences were negative with that, my sport experiences, I think it still provided the base to be able to be successful then in life. So I want to, you said a word that, that sort of resonated with me, which was embarrassment. And mm -hmm. I'd love to go back to that time when you were arrested. What did it feel like to be embarrassed? Can you go into your body and sort of what your body felt like? And uh, just, just go into that experience. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, I mean, the part that I remember, man, is now um, my dad takes me to the soccer game because, you know, I got arrested the night before our first game of the senior season. And my dad takes me to the game. I'm not sitting on our sideline. I'm sitting across from there and watching your team play. And, uh, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it's, it's numb, man. It's really numb. And, and then the, the following parts about, you know, embarrassed from knowing parents and parents that have, you know, said encouraging things to you out the years and then, and then they just ignore you. Uh, I think it's, it's a hollowed out feeling is, is what happens, you know? And, and then the feeling is, is I am something wrong. Like something's a matter with me because, um, to mess up that bad, um, cause a lot of pain and where that pain has to go somewhere, it went into proving everybody wrong and, you know, which can be very, very effective. 
um, unless you try harder when you're actually playing, you know, so it, 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 it can motivate people a lot, but it's got to motivate people in the right way and towards that preparation. And, you know, it kind of worked, but it would only work later on when I didn't have to uh, perform. Why do you think it didn't wake you up to the point where it sounds like in college you kept sort of the same oh, yeah. habits? Why do you think it didn't wake you up then? Um, you know, it's just, I mean, not enough pain. It wasn't enough pain. Um, I mean, the only time that I see that we really, really change is when the, when we're in enough pain that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And now that I was in pain from not being able to play, uh, I had to numb that pain somehow. So I numbed that pain by going right back to what caused it. So the cause and solution, all of life's problems, you know, alcohol, pot, um, yeah, I mean, partying, have a good time is the way that you numb that pain. So that's that's what it was, man. And go back to that fall. So after mm-hmm. that fall, is that the is that what shifted your life? Is that the watershed moment, or was was it still after that that you really started to shift? Yeah, well, I, I call those hinge moments. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that was that was a big one. Um, I wish I could even say it ended there. It didn't. And the reason why it didn't end there is because I'm a stubborn individual. I take two by four moments where, you know, it, it's a two by four. It has to hit me over the head to really get it. And, uh, you know, I was saved at that, at that point. Um, but even in that same year, you know, I was in a drunk driving accident. Um, that was the moment then where it, uh, it finally made me wake up and, you know, even talking about it now, man, there's a lot of shame, a lot of remorse on that because a lot of people do not even make it through those. And I made it through two um, near-death experiences. So the fact of, uh, you know, being able to make a difference in people's lives right now, I really tried never to ever take that stuff for granted. And, and it gave me perspective that I needed in my life at that time um, and still need it um, because I know what it's like to to totally mess up and to feel that embarrassment and to not come through and, and how do we just keep on going? And I got a lot running through my brain right now. One is I had a client yesterday where we talked about embarrassment and we were saying, you know, what do we think of that word? Like, is that, how, how do we leverage that word? Um, you know, if you're, if you're a coach, do you go in the locker room and say, I'm embarrassed by the way we played mm-hmm. um, performers, you know, I think one of the reasons people have such a fear of public speaking is because they're afraid of being embarrassed or of shame. Uh, so embarrassment and shame are real big emotional factors that can have a massive impact on people. And so that's the first thought. I'm just thinking about that word embarrassment. And then the second is I just finished reading a book by a guy named Chris Wilson, who I also interviewed for the podcast. And Chris was in jail for murder. Uh, He grew up near us as well, but in Washington, D.C., in Southeast, in a really rough neighborhood. And at 17, had life sentence. And in his book, he ends up writing a master plan and creating a master plan while he's in prison of all the things he wants to do to change his life and to turn it around. And he ends up getting out because of that master plan. But there's a part of the book where he talks about hitting rock bottom. And he says, if you hit rock bottom it's not actually rock bottom. Like if you're aware of hitting it, uh, then it's not actually rock bottom and your ability to leverage that until you're gone, it's not rock bottom. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. I thought it was such a cool way to think about rock bottom because for you, that, that drunk driving accident 
was your probably rock bottom. But fortunately for you, uh, whether you believe in God or, or fate or luck or whatever you, you believe in, you had the opportunity to redeem yourself and, and to shift your course. So I'm curious, to maybe have you pull on embarrassment uh, a little mm -hmm. bit more and then also this idea of rock bottom. Yeah, I think the embarrassment piece has to do a lot with like other people. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's really, it's important, I think, to be aware of that one. Because if a coach is going to come in and say, I'm embarrassed, they're really talking about how others perceive us a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just see the, it's the expectations that we set for ourselves are what really matter, you know, and that shame, um, you know, shame then is a very powerful one. And it might involve other people, but I think it's just involved on, I'm not living how I view myself. And then there's a huge disconnect. So let's stay on that. So as leaders, sure. thinking about that word embarrassment and the power that that word can have and the impact it can have, what I'm hearing from you, which is really interesting, is perhaps there's a better word to use there because embarrassment is focused on how others are perceiving us mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe our process or our standards or our expectations that we have for ourselves. Hey, we didn't meet our standards or we didn't meet our expectations. Um, and we need to figure out how can we meet our expectations rather than saying we're embarrassed. Yeah. And it is, man. And, and that's where I think the power of language is important. Um, I also think then no matter what, it, it's going to be, okay, now what? It ultimately comes back to that, right? It's going to be, okay, so that's the emotion. Okay, now what? Are we going to do something about it or do we need more pain? Mm -hmm. Um you know, that kind of resonates in with that next one, you know, the rock bottom, um, you know, it's when the teacher, I mean, sorry, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's true, man. It's, um, it's only, I think when, when we don't have any other options, but to succeed or, but to make it happen, do we then seek out the resources that we need to seek out? And that's the part where I think getting a coach, you know, like yourself is so huge because you are able to point out the blind spots that I cannot see in my own life. And then I, that's where I think I don't believe we were meant to coach ourselves. I think if we can have others that coat, you know, that pour into us and can point out our blind spots and can direct us in the right manner and who we spend time with and how we spend our money and stuff like that. Um, then, I think that's how we get better. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, there's a lot of soft bottoms out there for sure, man. And um, everyone's is a little bit different, you know, but yeah, definitely. If we can still take that breath, man, then we still have that opportunity, still have that chance. Let's go back to childhood. So it sounds like you excelled in baseball and soccer. Um, mm -hmm. What did you love about sports when you were little? The thing I loved about sports, especially when I was little, um, you know, the, the part about just being active and being out there and just being able to do stuff, you know, stuff where you could see. The thing I still love about sports today is that, you know, there's no ambiguity with it. In life, there's so much ambiguity, right? Is that person successful? Well, yeah, maybe financially they are, but man, they're a wreck at home and their home life's awful. Well, I mean, is that really success? There's a lot of ambiguity that comes to life. With sports, you catch the ball or you don't right? You make the shot or you don't. And there's a lot of factors, obviously, that go into it, but there's no ambiguity with that. And that's the part that I always loved, man, was um, you talk as much smack as you want, but that ball's going to go in the hole or it's not, man. And that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate um, 
joy and and the best joys man that i would have in my life got back to just these sports moments and and being able to you know pitch a two hit shutout and when everything comes together and you just it's just you um there's just not too many opportunities in life where you could really experience that stuff you know the part that i loved about a kid as well is i love training i really did and i like my jv soccer coach was uh, Rick Lush ball, huge impact in my life. Cause I remember we'd always had these big Hill that we'd run. I, he would always say, look, man, you don't have to run this Hill. You get to run this. Hill. like training is a privilege, man. Not many people get to do this stuff. And when you press those barriers and you, and you push past your limits about what you thought was possible. Um, it goes to show man that anything is possible. And it's only, I think through doing that training. And, and that was the part, man, I did, you know, I miss the bus rides. I miss playing, but I loved training, man. I love that. And I know a lot of people are going to say it's the opposite, but I love that stuff because I love being able to push yourself in that. You mentioned that in sports, there's less ambiguity when mm-hmm. it comes to success. How do you think about success? How do you define it? How, how do you, how do you think about it in your own life? So, I mean, I, I look at it totally different now. Um, you know, since this is the world that we kind of live in with success, I think you can have success, but are you significant? I think the significance piece is definitely more important. And the significance piece I look at is in who are you making an impact on in people's lives? You know, can you be the most important person in somebody's life? Even though we're planting trees that we're never going to see, we're not always going to know the impact on people's life. But um, the part that I love and that just fires me up so much is when people are able to dig deep and get the most out of them, you know, when they can do things that they didn't think were possible, but because of, you know, your coaching, because of significance in in that life, man, you made a difference in their life. That's how I look at success right now, man. And that's just the only thing that's important is, are you making a significant contribution to somebody's life where if you weren't in it, their life would be worse off? Um, that's, that's how I look at it. When, when did sports psychology come in into play for you? Sports psychology came into play after uh, I fell off that cliff and then was no longer playing baseball. And then I took that first psychology class and then I finally took a class I was really interested in. I was always a good student, but I never had to study. And then when I got to college and I had to study and it was a struggle. And, but I took that first psychology class. I had that, that great teacher, a great professor, still keep in touch with him today. And it made such a difference in my life, man. I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That light bulb went off. And then I just knew I'm going to combine sports, my love of sports with psychology. And, uh, and that's when it went off and that's what I knew I wanted to do. So I was really blessed in that, that regard. Baseball. So you played baseball in college? Well, up until I fell off a cliff. Yeah. So that happened my first semester there when I was in school and then was kicked off team. And that was it. Mm. And when baseball was taken away from you, how did you handle that? Yeah, man, we got to keep coming back to this, right? It was pain, man. The only, the only way I knew how to deal with pain was, um, keep drinking, man. Keep using, um, you know, keep partying because I don't want to look at that pain. I want to get rid of the pain. Um, so you numb more and, that's how I dealt with it. As you're talking about that, you have an energy about you and intensity about you. But as you're talking about those instances, I can tell there is a emotional response to it. Talk, talk about what your emotions are as you're talking about these times in your life. Yeah. You know, when, when you mess up that bad, 
when you know that, you know, I was given, I was given another shot, um, and all in the same breath, how you can mess up so bad, but yet be given another opportunity. Um, you know, it does, man, it brings tears out because to be able to tap in, be able to tap into that feeling. Um, I mean, the feeling that, that I have talking about those moments, I mean, it was so much regret, so much pain for years and you try filling it and every little bit of success, you think it fills it, but it doesn't. And then it's, and then it's ultimately got to be able to come to grips with that and then focus on, well, who it is that you want to become, how are you going to be able to impact others? And the part that I see that's important is no matter how far down the scale you have gone to see how your experience can benefit others is what it's about. You know, that's the part where racing and competing today, man, that's what brings out that feeling because I, I don't get that feeling anywhere else, man, except when, you know, birthday parties are great, but they're fun. Going to movies is great and it's fun, but nothing is like putting yourself out there where you're naked in front of the gods and you just get to compete, man, and be able to connect with people. When, when you see people at their rawest and at their best, that's, that's where I think the, the sanctity of human life exists. As you're going through some, some dark stuff, what was your family's response? It was awful, man. I mean, um, you know, they knew where it was going, you know, and if I could look at it and, you know, I apologize to them, um, you know, the embarrassment part was definitely coming from that, but they knew where I was headed. And I think it was just a matter of when this, when this train is going to go off the tracks, not if, and, uh, it just caused a lot of pain, man, a lot of pain. Um, and it, you know, I think it just fractures those relationships where that, those sort of things need to be uh, built up as well, you know, and, and that trust needs to be built back up, man. Um, you know, thankfully I, mean, I had a mom and dad that were very loving, um, and that never, that never wavered, always knew I was loved and that had a big impact on it, man. Is there anyone, anyone that said something to you as you're going through all that, that helped shift your perspective on on what you were doing and how you were going about it? Or was it just internal for you that you, you sort of hit this place of pain that you had to shift? Yeah. You know, you're always going to find people that, that will party, you know, no matter what, no matter where you're going to be, what kind of school, how age you're going to be, you're always going to find people that want to hang out and party. Not a problem. And, but those people really don't care about you. And that's tough to come with, you know, cause that doesn't even make any sense a lot to people. It was ultimately, uh, it was ultimately the impact that God had in my life. And it was, um, me just coming to that, that piece, but it was God constantly working on me, man. And, and like I said, man, saved me from the depths and, and brought me to where I am today. man. Were you brought up with the religious framework? Yeah. Uh, religion was definitely a piece in there. Um, you know, I was raised Lutheran, raised Christianity, but it didn't really have that big of an impact. Um, it was only after being able to experience those did I see the real impact and what, what grace was always about. Mm. That, that wasn't really preached a whole lot about grace. It was just, you have to follow these rules and be like this. And, and, you know, the church I grew up, man, everybody was perfect. Nobody had any problems, you know, mm. and it was only until when you can get real and, um, you know, do you see that the power of them, what grace is really all about, especially yeah. then when you, especially then when you have kids 
and you could see from my my perspective then well okay i have one kid i've never loved anything as much as my daughter now i have a son well i've never loved anything as much as my son i love him differently but their capacity could still love then then it kind of made sense like oh okay so and at least for me okay so this is how christ can love everybody and made the biggest difference man and then you could you know it took that to, to relate and to really see how how christ loved us yeah grace and compassion like awesome awesome words as i think about embarrassment and shame and we live in a world where especially on social media i think people are very quick to try to embarrass and shame people really <laughs> you know, <laughs> rob, rob has no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> and and I don't know. I, I'm so drawn to compassion. And I'm really drawn to those that can have compassion in times when I'm not sure if I could. Sure. And I, those are the people that blow me away. The, you know, the mother whose son is killed and then can look at her killer's eye, you know, in the eyes and say, I forgive you. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I, I honestly don't know if I would have that capacity, but it's something to strive for, um, for me and something that I think about. I am more fighter than I am, I guess, forgiver. Um, that's not to say that I hold grudges, but I will speak my mind and, and say what's on my mind. And I don't think that fight is necessarily bad, but there are times where I think grace and compassion would be more effective for the world than embarrassment, shame, or, or, or fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think I'm, I'm more fighter too, man. Cause I mean, that's how we get through things. You know, I, uh, you know, and that's where I think like Wayne Dyer's got a real interesting take on that stuff, but you know, we, we can't give out what we don't have. Uh, I sometimes agree with that. I sometimes disagree with it, but I think the only thing that we're doing is just revealing more about ourselves. Um, when people criticize, it's really just saying more about their own state than they are about what it is, you know? Um, and I think, um, but I think, I think you're so right, man. I think it's just like anything. It's a skill that we have to develop and we got to be able to work on. And that perfection piece, you know, Kobe Bryant passed away recently and there's no doubt that that dude was not perfect. I mean, regardless of his journey, where you stand, what happened, you know, when he cheated on his wife and got accused of sexual assault there are imperfections in his life. And I think one of the appreciations that I had for him amongst many is sort of, yeah, he, he wasn't perfect, but he always seemed to be seeking. How do I improve? How do I get better? How do I learn his curiosity? Um, and so it, when, when he passed, I really like looked back at all of the stuff that I had gathered from his life and synthesized it and actually put out a podcast with, with a lot of the stories and I think this notion of humans being perfect, like we should hold ourselves to high character and, and how we reveal ourselves and how we interact with people. And that should be moment to moment. We, we should absolutely hold ourselves to those moments while also understanding that there are going to be times where those moments are not our best. And it starts with having some grace for ourselves. And if we can have grace for ourselves, then that moment when somebody else is not their best, we can have some grace toward them. Um, and I, I really think... I actually think men, I'm going to, I'm going to put a, a gender on it. I think men are not great at that. 
we are not great at giving ourselves grace. We are not great at extending grace towards others. And maybe it comes back to uh, physiologically how we're, how we're designed. And, um, but I see it in men a lot, like, you know, easy to throw a stone, you know, cast a stone, but what are we, how are we showing up inward? Um, yeah, no question. And, th- and that's where I think, you know, it's the mountaintop mentality, you know, I mean, the, we want to look and see who's standing on the mountaintop right now because that's the only thing that matters. You know, making the Super Bowl itself, man, is an accomplishment, you know. And if you want to lose four Super Bowls, let me tell you, man, that's that's quite the accomplishment there. And and the more and more I go through life, man, being able to see those that, um, you know, just make it there and make it on the process. And that's why it's just so important for me to see coaches, man, that – make impact in people's lives and score, you know, scoreboard takes care of itself. And if they can be reasonably successful, I mean, that's, that's, that's good enough for me, you know, and that's the ones I look at, but those that are quality people, man, because you and I both know, and there is a dark side to the force where is that person really successful because they have won. And if you could see past that, you would see that and you hear stories, right? That person is not a good person. You know, but they win, so they get um, the accolades and stuff like that. But they're not good people, man. I don't look at that as success at all. You know, I want people that are good people, and winning becomes that byproduct. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, one of them, I've been fortunate to work with American University's wrestling team for a long time now, and one of the favorite, one of my favorite athletes that's come through that program is uh, his name's David Terrell. He's Hawaiian, and he wrestled almost like he was doing break dancing. He would do all kinds of cool moves and it's really fun to watch. And he, I'm, I'm shortening the story, but he ended up wrestling at the national championships at Madison square garden. And he was a wild card. He wasn't even, he, he had to like earn his way in by a vote. Uh, he didn't even earn it from the, they call him EIWAs, which is the region that he wrestled in. And so he was just lucky to be there in a lot of ways and he had this amazing run where i think he ended up finishing fourth and in wrestling if you're top eight you're an all-american and that's a big deal um but he upset a bunch of guys along the way and when he lost his last match the whole arena gave him a standing ovation and it was like the memory of that tournament and you know i remember chatting with him after and he was so fulfilled because he knew he left everything out there and he Mm -hmm. did everything he could to put himself in a position to succeed and while he won't be a national champion and have his arm raised last he is one of those people that i look at to your point that did everything he could with what he had and showed up and wrestled the way he wanted to wrestle and there was great fulfillment and satisfaction that he had from going through that uh so i I think about i think about david yeah that's Uh, a cool one uh back to you though so sports psychology comes into your life um what was that like to to get into that and to start learning about sports psychology and, and eventually, you know, start a practice and all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's many years I think that went through it. Um, you know, I still had goals. I knew I, I, you know, I had to go to grad school for it. Um, it was also at that time where I started following Dan O'Brien. So Dan O'Brien, who, um, you know, Dan and Dave commercials going to date me a little bit. Dan and Dave commercials, they both go to Olympic trials. Who's going to win gold in Barcelona? Well, Dan O'Brien's on world record pace doesn't even make it at Olympic trials. And I was like, wait a minute, how does that happen? So I started following this guy's career, and he started then seeing a sports psychologist, same thing, that's what I want to do, man, work with athletes, coaches, and teams, help them perform their best when it matters the most. 
wins gold in 96 and then you could just kind of see where, um, where that field was going to go, man. And, you know, it, knowing what the, the goal was going to be, I uh, didn't know exactly the path, but the path got laid out and the path went through um, traditional routes of grad school and many ups and downs from that. And then um, going the traditional route then of working as a professor, doing sports psychology, trying to build my business. And then it became one of those, like, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. And so then I left academia with two kids under uh, four years old and started my own business. And that was 2011. And it's been, you know, I, I just want the shot. You know what I'm saying, Brian? It's like Gil Reyes, Andre Agassi, strength coach, who's an incredible guy. And he said, some battles are worth fighting even if you lose. Mm. Now I thought it was such a righteous statement, man, because it was like, I want the shot. Give me the shot. You know, even if I don't make it, man, I can – the self-satisfaction piece is what I want. And what's, yeah, man, there's a lot, a lot of missed shots, man, but I wanted, I wanted that opportunity. What was it like for you as a professor in teaching? And yeah, I love, like? yeah, I love teaching. Teaching was great. Um, as, and you know, I still do teach. And I think that that's a huge passion. Um, then trying to direct people down the path of sports psychology though, it was like, I, I can't, I can't fully be in this because I don't even know what the path is. I don't know what the path for you can be. And then it was, um, so then just trying to help people on that journey, but there wasn't really the best outcome for them. And once they started asking for grants and I was like, ah, I'm not doing that, man. And then I was, you know, when you reach those points where you're just not happy, you, you got to cut bait, man. And, and what was the reaction uh, of your family? You've got two small kids at home and you're gonna, you're gonna sort of leave, uh, some security I would imagine from yeah it was one of those things that I prayed about man I uh I don't I don't share this one a lot because man a lot of people will, will get pushback on that stuff but I prayed about it and I said I need a burning bush moment you got to show me a sign that shows me I'm supposed to do this and um the reason why I don't share it a lot man is because it was just you know it was, it was I heard an audible voice man say it's going to be okay mm. And that was all I needed, man. And it was, it was true every single month, man, especially starting out. I mean, not having anything, not knowing what to do. And, um, you know, I had to get a speaking engagement here, man, get another client here every month. And it all, it always worked out. It really did. You said you don't share it. What's the reason for yeah. that? Well, because a lot of people are going to be like, Oh, well, you know, uh, I, I've, I've never heard that voice. Are you sure that was, that was God's voice, you know? And, um, it's just one of those things I think more of keeping that private and just in not publicized, but um, I think just keeping that. And when people ask, you know, I definitely tell them um, because my job man is to relate to people on the many different levels. I think a lot of times when we put our feet in the ground in terms of Christianity, there's a whole lot of them that comes along with it. And you know, some of it's good, some of it's bad. I'm not one into like the church as an organization. I'm into the church as in the body and um, what Christ loved for us. That's, that's what I'm all about. And I think that's the only thing that really matters. Um, people ask more about, you know, who's your pastor rather than who's your master. You know, people care about being at the right church and having a rock star passion. It's like, I don't care about this stuff, man. I just care about, you know, what's, what's, uh, 
how's God working in our lives and what's how's Christ in that? So the Greeks believe that strength was mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So we're talking mm-hmm. about that spiritual piece for you. Talk to me about emotionally. What do you do to make sure emotionally you're where you need to be? If you do anything at all. Yeah. Um, I think knowing what the triggers are, are important. Knowing when you're centered, knowing when you need to, when you need to tap into other sources, when you need to tap into other people or when you just need to dig deep, um, you know, knowing what the strengths are. I mean, my strength is never given up. So I know that whenever that gets stoked, that's when the best comes out. My weakness is letting go of mistakes. So when that gets stoked, I need help, big time help. And I just think it's, it's knowing that man. So it's, uh, who helps, no, who helps you when, when you're struggling with letting go of mistakes? Uh, coaches, man, people that, you know, connect with and just letting them know. I think that's the big thing is we isolate, you know, we don't share that stuff. I don't need anybody to solve that problem, but there's something that happens when we audibly share it, when we speak it out loud, that removes some of the power from it. And then we can just kind of hear ourselves say it. So I think it's just being able to get that out is a huge part of that. And why did you pour yourself into running? So running is a, a big piece of your experience. And, and this maybe gets into the physical strength uh, piece, but why running? Why not other endeavors? And maybe there are other endeavors that you also are. Yeah. So, I mean, there are other endeavors, you know, I mean, one of my, one of my loves, I mean, I love playing golf, you know, I love golf. I love the social aspect of golf. Um, you have to work really, really hard at golf in order to be really good at it. You know, it's no, no way around it. And then there becomes a love hate relationship with that. So what I mean is, is you can play a bad round of golf for me. I can play a bad round of golf, you know, shoot 83 and it's really, I'll trade you. I'll take your bad round. Just so you know, yeah. we don't need and to play it's, a golf game though. <laughs> so then it's, it's ruining my day ruins it, you know, because it's, that's who I am as a person, you know, I'm a performer. If I go for a run and I have a bad run, I still feel pretty good. You know, I still have those endorphins and that physical piece to it. And so, um, you know, just many times on the course, I'm just looking at it and be like, why am I playing this game? You know, you have to be able to answer that question. Why am I doing what I do? For running, um, you just got to go. And it's, it's very basic. There's really not much into it. And, you know, I don't have the speed that I had not that I had much before, you know, but, but how far can you go? And then I think all it is, is then that's just what's pushing our limits and what's possible and what we can do. What do you do to set your mind when you're competing at running? Focus on other people, hmm. focus, focus on connecting with the competitors and people that are doing what you're trying to do. Cause I think we can't help out others without also helping out ourselves. I've, I've, when we are at our best and we're trying to do an Ironman, and you're competing with other people that are trying to do an Ironman. And you, you've been out there for 12 hours and, and you're getting ready to finish. And, you know, you're puking and people that pick you up, man, man, they're like, come on, let's keep going. That's the essence of life. And, and I think when we can just focus on other people in those kind of races, that's what helps us out. That's how we get that second wind. Do you ever do yoga? Uh, I mean, I have, yeah. And I like stretching. Um, but 
I like breathing and I like stretching. I don't like stretching and breathing. <laughs> I'll do it at times, man, but it's not like the staple of what I do. I just think yogis and runners are, are different. And like yogis are <laughs> definitely more, this is generalization, but more centered, more stretching. Uh, whereas runners, I look at, they're determined, they're gritty, they're, 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 they're driven. And as we're talking to me, like the not give up, like I'm going to keep going is, is very much a runner's sort of approach. Whereas a yogi might try to ground themselves, reflect, you know, really think on things. And it's just interesting to hear you because um, I think we have a mutual friend, Jesse Itzler, who's been on the podcast. And I think Jesse's a runner. Like he is just mm -hmm. like, he's going to keep going. He's not going to stop. Boom, 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 boom. I think, I think yoga, uh, the people that love yoga, I think take it with a different approach and not to say that perhaps the runner should do some yoga and perhaps the yoga should do some runner, uh, or do some running. So that was just something I was thinking about as, as you were chatting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am reflective on it, man. I think, uh, and I think the breathing piece is, is important. Um, but yeah, man, if I had my choice, man, I'd rather run 10 miles than <clears throat> spend an hour on a mat. Well, even course, golf, hot yoga too. Though, that's pretty fun. <laughs> but even golf is, uh, you know, is reflect, you have to sort of slow down. You can't just run through golf. I'd imagine golf's challenging for you as it is for everybody. But um, I think for people that are more fighters or more going to keep going, um, maybe it, like when you put them on a golf course, a lot of times the golf is the right way to play golf is actually not to keep going. It's actually to take a safer route or a safer play. It's one of the few sports where conservative play is uh, often you benefit from it. Whereas other sports, it's very rare that conservative play is beneficial. Yeah. Um, man. And that's the thing, like with golf, you can't try harder works against you. So when you're working with athletes, um, talk to me about some of the frameworks or the approaches you use or, or what do you, what helps you help them? So, I mean, the frameworks, it's, it's always getting back to what's your why start with your why. Uh, I think that's an important piece. And then what is it that's keeping you from getting to where you want to go? Where is it that you want to go? And then where are the gaps? I think everyone's is a little bit different, man. I think if we approach every athlete or everybody we work with as in um, not being confident, I think that helps us. So there'd be a false confidence a lot of time, but if this, what I'm, what kind of need is that person? What do they need? And then what's my support that's going to be in that role? I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, Brian. I keep this stuff very, very simple. And my job is to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to help them figure this stuff out. It sounds like you start with the mission. What's your mission? What's your why? Then you think about, all right, what's your vision? Where do you want to go? And then you think about the how, like what's your process? We're, we'll sort of put Simon Sinek, start with why, then how, then what, but you have them identify the vision, think, know exactly what their mission is. And then your job is to really help them figure out how to get from where they are to where they want to go and help them with their process and whatever that might look like. Yeah, no question, man. All right, cool. And as far as sports psychology goes, is there a sport? I know you work with a lot of golfers. Is there a sport that you find lends itself to the work that you do and, and how you think about that work? You know, the beauty about what I do and working with so many different sports is it's uh, the benefit is, is the, 
the mental skills are the same across any kind of endeavor that we do. They just manifest themselves a little bit differently. I love so many different sports, man, because, you know, my love of sport, you know, so if it's like, I would rather pick coaching over one sport, you know, I, I love coaching more than just any kind of one sport. And, um, it's, that's, that's, that's the way I look at it with, with the mental coaching, man, is, you know, it's their experience and it's, it's helping me become part of that experience and, and it's helping me understand their experience better and what's that like and i know you, you talk about mental toughness a lot how do you how do you think about mental toughness how do you define it uh it's a word that gets thrown a lot around a lot uh yeah. and there's no sort of one definition so i'm curious about how you think about mental toughness yeah and it's funny man because i think people just come up with their own definitions i mean i always go by jim layer 1986 right mental toughness is twofold it's one how we perform well under pressure and the other part about mental toughness that we all deal with is how we handle deal and cope with the adversity in life. That's all it is. Jeans and t-shirt, man, cash and carries. Keep this simple. It's all how we deal with that. People want to add stuff to it. Uh, you know, Hey, whatever. That's it. It's how we, it's how we respond to adversity. And for you, you perform outside of sports as well. So you're a speaker, you write, what's your mindset when you're speaking compared to writing compared to running, walk us through how you set your mind or what do you, how you think about each of those? Um, <clears throat> With speaking, it's being able to make that that impact in people's lives in that moment that we have together, uh, being able to connect with that audience. And the mindset that goes into it, it's always getting back to that preparation. I think the more and more that we're prepared, the better that you can go off script and connect with the audience. Um, you know, with writing, it's more isolating. It's very isolating. It's a lot more introspective. Um, so I've always treated my writing as like a workout. We're going to do the workout today. What's the workout that we got on there? It's one and a half hours of writing. Go get after it. And um, that's the part I, I love what the, how the office changes, you know, and then working with athletes, man, it's the same thing. It's making that connection with that person on a one-on-one -on -one level. And that's probably my favorite part, but you know, mindset when it comes to speaking, man, I love speaking. Um, you know, back to when I was, uh, when I got in that drunk driving accident, that was the first time I ever spoke to a live audience and it was, uh, it was an entire school and, um, you know, about drunk driving. So, I mean, it was not a huge school, but it was about 700 kids, man. I remember speaking and I was like, wow, that went really well. Like, what, is this something like I want to do? And because it went so well, it was just all I was doing was just telling my story. And I think that's the part about just being able to share your story and your experience, man. Do you still share what happened to you when you were younger when you speak? Oh, yeah. I definitely share the Cliff story. And depending on the groups that I work with, I will share, um, you know, the, the partying examples and, and getting arrested. I think that's more intimate. And vulnerable. It's true. It's real. It's part of who you are. It's part of where you, where you are today. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it influences how you show up and how. Yeah. And I should definitely probably share that. I mean, it's um, coming up on five years of, of sobriety. So mm. what caused you to go down that path? You know, I, uh, I was probably like, Oh, I mean, I just love the pint. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't binge, uh, but I would love a pint here and love a pint there when my kids started growing up, then that's something that they see and they're not even aware of it. Right. But I didn't really want them exposed to it. And then there was just one night, man, where, um, 
you know, um, I was away on business and I ended up just drinking more than I should have. And I was hung over the next day. And I remember just thinking, I was like, this isn't, this isn't who I want to be, man. And that's it. And I was done. And that was, that was it. Anything else that you do intentionally that you've made decisions to say, this is something I want to do, or this is how I want to show up or anything, any habits that you do daily to make sure that your ax is sharp? I mean, exercising is big for me. Um, I think being able to connect with others is big for me. Um, I think isolation is, is just where the isolation only mushrooms kind of grow in the dark and, and who likes those, Brian, you know, it's, it's only when we connect with others. Do I think then we were able to bring out our best self and then we're able to be significant in people's lives. So being intentional about being able to reach out to people and connect with people. Um, you know, those are the few things. And then it's, um, I mean, I'm, it, it's such second nature to focus on how we push ourselves. So I'm always trying to push myself every day in, in one way or another. And that's, that becomes a habit as well, man. How am I going to push myself today? And sometimes I don't even know just till that opportunity shows up. And it's a beautiful place for us to, to wrap before we go. Uh, you've written a bunch of books. You got another one coming out. Definitely share the title because it makes me laugh, especially now knowing that you're sober. It makes me laugh even more. Um, but uh, let us know where we can find you on social so that we can all, you know, be negative to you and, and, you got and it, throw, throw, throw shade your way and uh, on your website. I love shade. Uh, <laughs> shade's great. Uh, of course, I'm joking. If anyone throws shade at Rob, you know, you're going to hear from me. I'm <laughs> slide right in there but uh yeah let us know where we can find you and learn learn about what you're up to yeah absolutely but i think that was a big that was a big change man past couple of years too is uh i really try my best not to be combative with anybody on social media and i just try to say that's that's interesting i really thought about it that way or i just try not to say anything at all and i'm not perfect at it. i still make mistakes because sometimes my ire will get drawn but at uh you know it's at dr rob bell and um you know, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, uh, websites, drrobbell.com. Yeah, man. And my next book that'll be coming out is, uh, it's called puke and rally. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. And, and that was, that had more to do not with, uh, being, being a fifth year or anything. It had to do with on these ultra marathons, man, I just kept on throwing up, you know, first five hours of the race would be great, but I kept on puking. Well, you throw up, man, but you keep going. You know, and everybody's thrown up, but, but how can we rally? I said we were going to finish, but you can't talk about ultras without us getting into it. So sure. why do that? I look, I, I look at marathon runners and think like, why are you doing that to yourself? So well, there's a difference between us. We've talked about some of the similarities. That's a difference between us. Uh, but, but why ultras? And there might be people that don't know about ultras. So explain it as well. And yeah. tell, why, why, why are you doing them? Yeah. So the ultra man is, I mean, it's basically anything that's going to be over 26.2. So I mean, you got 50 Ks, you got 50 miles and you got a hundred miles. So this year is going to be a hundred miler. Um, I've done a handful of 50 Ks and the 50 miles. I mean, it's, it's, I love living on that edge of life of when you don't know, you know, what we talk about with all athletics is being in the moment. I think that's the part about athletics that is so great, man, is being in the moment. Well, we don't get to be in the moment any other time. It forces you to be in that moment because the only thing you can focus on is just this mile. And 
I think it's just really neat when you're trying to do things that sound insane, that sound, um, why would you do that? Like, is that even possible sort of thing? Um, I just, I love that stuff. Why why do you love that? Well, because my strength has never given up, you know, and I love to do stuff then that taps in that strength of never giving up. So when you know that you're not going to give up no matter what, um, that's been proven through some of those races, man, where, I mean, I've, I've had projectile vomit, man. And just, I mean, not in a good spot, you know, physically. What do you do in that moment though? What do you do in that moment to try to get, keep yourself going? Cause a lot of people, yeah. like, ah, what, what do you do? Well, that's the thing, man. I think it's the mindset heading in that no matter what, you're not going to stop, even if it costs you your life. I think, you know, in point break, right. There's that movie, you know, the movie, the awesome movie where they, the original is, um, you know, if you want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. You have to be willing to live on that edge. And that's the part about the edge that um, is that's where life resides. And I think when you can tap into what our strengths are going to be, that's the part that um, so many things then just take shape after we be able to push ourselves to show ourselves that thing, anything is possible. But you think it's the front loading, it's the mindset going in to say, I'm, I'm just not going to stop. And then so there's not really a choice when you're throwing up. It's no, I don't have a choice. It's just one you foot in front of the other. Just keep going and you figure it out. Yeah. Because if you have to make choices in those moments, man, then, then our mind always wants that back door and we're going to take it. You have to be able to, whatever our mindset is going to be heading into any kind of competition, whatever that goal is, we, it's got to be first and foremost, or it just doesn't happen. At least not for me, man. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that we were able to get a Dan and Dave reference. I can't believe we got point break at the end. I'm glad that we went there and yeah. you're, you're showing your age a little bit over mine, but I'm, I'm old enough to know both of those references. So I think they've gone sort of, they span maybe a couple generations. Um, but I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. You can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Rob, I want to thank you. Just really grateful. When I first started doing this work, uh, I remember chatting with you in my old living room and just having a really honest and real conversation with you. And throughout this conversation, you've said, you know, keep it simple. This doesn't have to be too complicated. We don't need to, you know, you kept saying jeans and t-shirt guy. And every time I talk to you, I feel like that is the way that you are and it's authentic and it's real. And for me in this world, that's what I always try to surround myself with are people that are going to be real authentic aware, know maybe some of their limitations know some of their strengths uh and you hit on all that for me and uh, i look forward we still haven't met in person uh i think oh is that true i don't we have not done it we always talk about it but you're always back home during christmas and i'm usually gone during christmas <laughs> that's right so, so we'll have to make it happen the next time you're in dc or uh, i didn't even know that man yeah if, if i come up to indianapolis or you're still in indianapolis right near there yep that's right man yeah So if I'm up there, we'll connect, but I feel like I know you well, just from our phone calls and it's been good to, to catch up with you here and uh, wishing you all the best with your ultra this year. hundred miles sounds, sounds amazing. Sounds incredible. Can't wait. Can't wait. I wish I'd tell you I'm going to join you, but I'm not going to join you, but uh, I'm excited to, you know, live vicariously through you. And uh, I think it's really cool that you practice what you preach and you walk those steps and, you know, it's something that I still am a work in progress with for sure is I just got back from a golf trip and, you know, I I think my mindset could have been better. And I know my friends would say his mindset could have been better. So um, I'm still working on it and trying to be better myself, but uh, you're inspiring in the way that you're going about and attacking things and and knowing who you are and how you show up. So thanks for being you. Oh, great interview, man, Brian. You asked a lot of good questions, buddy. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I think you can have success, but are you significant? I think the significance piece is definitely more important. And the significance piece I look at is in who are you making an impact on in people's lives? You know, can you be the most important person in somebody's life? 